Morning, church family. It's good to have you here this morning at our 845 service, our early service at Desert Hills. Some exciting things happening at Desert Hills, for which we're grateful. Last week had a number of people join the church, unite with the church in membership, and also had some people follow the Lord and believers' baptism. And uh, wanted to say a word of thanks to everyone that continues to give and sacrifice and, and make sure you're part of uh, the partnership that we have here at Desert Hills Baptist Church as we strive together for the faith of the gospel. In just a couple of weeks, we're going to have our dedication uh, for our new admin building just behind us, and so we're going to do that. We're planning on doing that between the services on the 26th, and so uh, we have to get our fire system all in, and there's a couple of other uh, small things that we have to take care of. And we're excited about that. So make sure you're here uh, for each of the weeks for this new sermon series that we begin today. And then make sure you're here on the 26th because it's going to be a special day for all of us. We're going to turn our current offices into a larger nursery. In fact, uh, the current nursery is a little bit bigger than my office in the office area right now. And so I think a couple of weeks ago, we had 18 people in that nursery room, uh, small children and adult workers and things like that. And so we're going to get almost twice as much space uh, for our nursery, and then we're going to add another classroom, and then um, we're going to be able to have a space where we're able to do membership class and starting point, not in our activity center. We can use that strictly for um, overflow because we continue to grow and need more space and need that space for overflow instead of a starting point class or setting up for a membership class. And then all throughout the week, we're meeting with people. In fact, I don't remember how many meetings our staff had with individuals last year, but it was hundreds of meetings uh, last year. And we're meeting here in the auditorium, in the lobby, in the activity center. Uh, we'll have a couple designated areas in our admin building to meet with people uh, to keep their business a little bit more private, you know what I mean? And uh, I meet with people at coffee shops and other places all the time. And it's good to have a, a discreet place where people can kind of pour out their hearts. And that is going to be part of it. And right now, Amanda, who is our director of operations, uh, she, she has her office in a closet And uh, David and Dominic, they have their office in a closet back here, and it's just time for them to come out of the closet. Amen? It's time for them to do that. Uh, Luke chapter 18 this morning. Luke chapter 18, verse 18. The series is called Reconstructing What to Do When You Question Your Faith. Now, we begin this series this morning, and the topic of deconstruction is not new. We see elements of this deconstruction idea in the Enlightenment period and in what we know as German rationalism, where human reason or understanding is the sole source and final testament of truth instead of God's revelation as found in the Bible. Now, some of you might be here and you might think, so what is deconstruction? And why should it be important to me? Now, here's a good definition of deconstruction. Deconstruction is the process of systematically dissecting and often rejecting the beliefs you grew up with. Sometimes the Christian will deconstruct all the way to atheism. Some remain there, but others sometimes experience a reconstruction. But the type of faith they end up embracing almost never resembles the Christianity they formerly knew. Now, why is this topic important? Now, a LifeWay research study says that 66% 
of young people stop going to church for at least a year between the ages of 18 through 22 years of age. Now, some leave never to return again. And if you have children or grandchildren or know people who have questions about their faith, this series is for you. Now, put yourself in their shoes. How can you treat them as a human being who God loves? How can you treat them solely based on the fact that they're a human being? They may disagree with you. They may think that you believe in myths and fairy tales because you believe in God. But how can you yet still treat them as a human being who you're supposed to love and who, more importantly, God loves? Now, how can you show love without demagoguing them? How can we still have discussions without alienating people? How can we treat people like Jesus treated them? In fact, many of the people who Jesus encountered were not the people that we would generally find in a church service like this. So how can we treat people like Jesus treated people? Now, we have questions all the time about our faith, questions such as, why does God allow all this pain and suffering in the world? Or how can we reconcile the goodness of God with all the pain and suffering that we see? Why does God uh, uh, allow uh, tsunamis? And why does God allow earthquakes? And why does God allow all these things to happen that may seemingly not make sense to us? Now, how do we know God is real? How do we know God is real? How do we deal with the inconsistencies of believers and sometimes the inconsistencies of Christian faith leaders. Now, why do people insist on teaching things that are not genuinely found in the Bible? There's a whole lot of people that do that today. Or why do people insist on elevating personal beliefs to a place of doctrine? Sometimes people deconstruct away from the faith because of matters just like that. Now, we all have questions concerning our faith, and questions in and of themselves are not bad. And my hope as a pastor is that those questions will lead you into a deeper relationship with God, the God of the Bible, and His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, how do we believe a God we cannot see, we cannot touch, with our limited understanding in our finite minds? Now, the author of Romans attempts to answer this question in Romans chapter 8 when he says, for we are saved by hope. The Greek, Greek word, elpsis, is very similar to the word that we know as faith. We are saved by hope or faith. But hope or faith that is seen is not hope or faith. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for it? If you see it, why do you have to hope for it? And then the Bible goes on to say this, but if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Now, then the author of Hebrews further explains this concept of faith and hope when he says, now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Now, it is true, we do not see everything this side of eternity clearly. And I don't believe we necessarily need to. In other words, this pastor or any other pastor cannot have all the answers to all the questions that we have about God and faith and life and the Bible. I'm not going to be able to answer all those questions, nor is any pastor going to be able to answer those questions. In fact, Corinthians says it this way, for we know now we see through a glass darkly, 
but then face to face. Now we know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. In other words, we cannot have all the answers with empirical proof today. But true faith is content not to have all the answers for every question. In fact, the late theologian J.I. Packer once expressed it this way. It's not for us to stop believing because we lack understanding or to postpone believing till we get understanding, but to believe in order that we may understand. As Augustine said, unless you believe, you will not understand. Faith first, sight afterwards is God's order, not vice versa. And the proof of the sincerity of our faith is the willingness to have it so. Now, here's what another author said. If this is what faith actually requires, a willingness to have faith first, sight afterwards, then I'd suggest to keep believing in this faith is a braver and costlier choice then abandoning it because you can't fully wrap your mind around its thornier components. Now, think about that. Now, sometimes people deny the faith because they have sin in their lives. Sometimes, uh, the Bible says, because sin abounds, the love of many will wax cold. Sometimes, as a result of the inability to get victory over some situation, that sin hinders our relationship with God. Sometimes uh, uh, there's pain and loss. Sometimes there's any other reason that we may come away. Now, Jesus dealt with such matters of faith in Luke chapter 18. Verse 17, he had just told his followers, unless they come to him with total helplessness and trusting faith that they could not have eternal life. In fact, he says, Suffer little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. Little children were being brought to the feet of Jesus, and Jesus' disciples were saying, wait a minute, uh, they're not worthy to be in the presence of our master and rabbi, Jesus Christ, and they were trying to shoo him, shoo them away, and Jesus said, no, 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 let the little children come to me. He was wanting to use them as an example of helplessness and faith that was genuinely sincere. And then he writes, or says in verse 17, Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. In other words, unless we can have childlike faith, sincere, reckless, uh, unashamed faith, we cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, most likely, the rich ruler described in the following verses had watched Jesus tenderly hold small children and was influenced in a positive way towards Jesus because of Jesus' compassion. He responds with a seemingly benign question, verse 18. Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, the rich ruler uh, was not testing Jesus. He wasn't trying to get him in a gotcha moment. He sincerely had questions and wanted to know what to do. He had been adamant about keeping the law, but he had no assurance of eternal life. He was so sure that he could do something or give something to acquire his certainty in heaven when he died. Uh, he said, in a sense, Jesus, name the price. I'm willing to pay it. But there were two obstacles to this man's faith. 
like there are obstacles to our faith today. First of all, he did not see his need for God because he had a lot of things. He had great possessions. And secondly, he thought he was intrinsically good. In fact, here's what it says. Good master, the man asked, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He thought he could somehow purchase or earn eternal life. And many people are in the same place today because they have a good job, because they have a fully funded retirement, because they have good health, because they have decent relationships, because they've raised a good family. They do not completely understand their need for God and His Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And many people cannot comprehend their own sinfulness. They believe because of their civic duty, because of their benevolent generosity, and their occasional kindness towards uh, their fellow man, they will merit a seat at the table in eternity. So Jesus questions this man, his thinking and his faith. And so we see this, these questions about faith. And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good save one, that is God. So the first question is, who is good? Jesus, in a sense, said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, this was a challenge for this man to reflect on Jesus' ministry in relation to God, who is the only one in existence that is truly good. Now, if the ruler could see goodness in Jesus, he would realize that God's kingdom and king were right in front of him. Think, Jesus is a saying, in a sense, if I am good... And if only God is good, then who am I and what am I doing? Think, do you really realize what you're saying? And then Jesus asked him a personal question. Are you really good? Jesus now focuses on the supposed goodness of this rich ruler. Jesus focuses on specific commandments that deal with man's relationships to people. Verse 20, thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother. Now, Jesus was hoping the ruler would repent and believe in childlike faith, understanding that he did not have what he needed within himself to have everlasting life. But instead, in ignorance and blindness, he says, all these have I kept from my youth. He missed it. He missed it. And some of us miss it. And Jesus goes after him, compassionately and concerned for his soul. Yet lackest thou one thing, Jesus says, sell all that thou hast and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now, the rich man loved his possessions more than he loved God, and by doing so, he was breaking the 10th commandment, which the Bible says you're not to covet. His materialism indicated that he did not love his neighbor as he loved himself, and therefore was not a keeper of the law. He was not as good of a man as he thought he was. And notice the rich ruler's response. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful because he was very rich. His heart was ultimately revealed. 
There was an obstacle that was keeping this man from being saved. Just like there are obstacles that are keeping people today from believing to be saved and continuing to believe that they are saved. Now, we then see Jesus' qualification for the faith. And notice Jesus' words. And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter the kingdom of God? Now, Jesus wasn't promoting aestheticism. Jesus wasn't teaching that we are given salvation by releasing our riches and giving them away. But knowing this man's heart, his wealth was a hindrance to him. And understanding his helplessness and need for childlike faith was necessary for salvation for this man. Jesus then illustrates. He says, it's easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, the largest animal in Israel would have been a camel, by far. It was bigger than a cow, it was bigger than an oxen. The largest animal in this area of the world was a camel. In essence, Jesus was saying that, humanly speaking, this is an impossibility. It's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle, humps and all, than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, humanly speaking, we cannot convince someone who does not believe. Humanly speaking, we cannot convince those who reject the faith to come back to it. We can't do it. We don't have the knowledge. We don't have the answers. We don't have the wisdom. But notice the text. And they that heard it said, who then can be saved? And he, Jesus, said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Now, we cannot change the hearts that are filled with obstacles. We cannot change those who have come away from the faith. We cannot change those who have deconstructed, but God can. God can. And notice the words again, the things which are impossible with men are possible with with God. God can reconstruct one's faith. Now, this is what the series is about. God uses his word to illuminate his truth by, uh, to bring, by his spirit to bring men and women and boys and girls to the knowledge of the truth of salvation in Jesus Christ. That's how it works. Now, in preparation for this series, we have asked a couple of different individuals who have a background in Christianity, who have even worked in Christian churches and ministries, but now would consider themselves deconstructed Christians, several questions about their worldview, their belief system, and their experience. So today, Dominic is going to come, and David is going to come, and Dominic is going to represent his friend, and his friend's answers this morning. Remember, these are Dominic's friend's answers, and these are David's friend's answers. These aren't their answers, all right? And so David is going to do his best to answer the following questions, and my hope is that this will better equip us to help those that are struggling on their journey of faith. Now, you may say this doesn't matter to you, but if you talk to anybody, you will understand that this should matter to you. The Bible says we're to be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And sometimes I think as Christians, we got it the other way around. Some of us are like the alligator. We're all mouth and no ears. But the Bible says, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. 
So my first question this morning that I'm asking is, and these questions went out or these questions are reflected in the answers in the following. What ideas, philosophies, or doctrines did you struggle with that led you to your current position? So my friend answered to this. He said the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was something that he, uh, when he began to de deconstruct, was, was what he was dealing with the most. And the reason why he said the Holy Spirit is because of all things in Christianity, you can't he said you can't verify it, you can't empirically prove the Holy Spirit exists outside of saying something like, well, I felt this way, I feel like the Holy Spirit's leading me, I feel like the Holy Spirit's telling me this, telling me that, and he just couldn't come to a place where he could say, how do I verify that? How do I know that that was the Holy Spirit? So what would he say that people that are expressing the guiding of the Holy Spirit are attributing that to? Uh, uh, bias, um, what they may want to hear, what they may want to do, um, they might uh, base it on uh, their upbringing, um, a whole, a really, and there's an infinite number. That's the practical decision for me to make, so that must be where the Holy Spirit's leading me. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's kind of a um, self-fulfilling prophecy almost. So, go ahead. No, go ahead. So, uh, my friend would then say that his biggest obstacle in this would be hypocrisy within the church, hypocrisy within church leadership, and, and I... I'm sure that all of us can say that we're not perfect, that we've been in churches that are not perfect, and unfortunately, there are some bad apples out there. Um, he had been exposed to some people who had failed morally themselves, who had covered up some bad situations, and he said if they would have just dealt with it, if they would have just admitted that they had a problem. If they would have just dealt with the situation, then I could have handled it. But people just totally abusing and not being willing to own that, that, that turned him off completely. So are you saying that he experienced people covering up sin? He did, absolutely. Not, not different sin preferences, but things that are distinctly sin based on the Bible and not dealing with them. So over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about Three main reasons why I believe, after reading numbers of pages of information and articles online and books and so on and, and discussions with people that uh, are, are still kind but yet would say they have deconstructed and people that aren't so kind and uh, have deconstructed. In fact, I thought about uh, there's a couple of people that I know that have deconstructed over the years and um, they're not real kind towards Christians. Now, they might be kind towards me because I've always shown kindness towards them, but I would be afraid to put them on a live video and have you uh, uh, see them because they might get a little crunchy, if you will. But there are three main reasons why people, I believe, deconstruct. One is ethereal faith as opposed to experiential faith. In other words, they might be a, a second-generation Christian, a third-generation Christian, and they've never had to experience God for themselves. They've never had to ask God for something so big that only God could do it. They've never seen the miracles of God. It would be hard for the children of Israel to, quote-unquote, deconstruct after having seen the waters of the Red Sea parted, them walking upon dry ground, and see the armies of Pharaoh crushed by the waters. That would be hard to deconstruct. It would be hard for me to deconstruct because of all the numbers of things that I've seen God do. So, ethereal faith as opposed to experiential faith. Secondly, the inability to reconcile the goodness of God with pain and suffering and discouragement. There are questions there. 
And let me say this, there are questions that I can't answer. Thirdly, inconsistencies, as David said, in Christians and Christian leaders, and even inconsistencies in teaching the Bible. So, second question. Would you say that you really personally knew God? So my friend, he answered to this, that he absolutely felt like he personally believed, um, that he personally knew God and he believed in God while he was still a believer. Um, But now he would say the idea of um, personally knowing God um, was was a construct that he created and is a construct, broadly speaking, that people create uh, for themselves uh, from a mixture of scripture, their imagination, and uh, personal motivations. Um, so he, he believes that God is an idea we create in our mind, and then our emotions kind of follow suit um, in that. I, I would say some of that isn't entirely, isn't entirely wrong. It's true that to some degree, we all probably perceive God differently based on our environment, based on our upbringing, based on our values. Um, however, it's also true that Scripture is quite clear on who God is and, and who He isn't. Um, I mean, the Bible's not a quick read, right? It's, it's a pretty big book, and so there's a lot to learn about God, and, and most of the time, He's the one telling us about Himself. So there's a lot about God we can know. So I had a follow-up question. We got Him on the phone the other day. I wasn't sure if if he was going to be able to follow up with us. And he, he texted me at a time that I gave him, but he had not confirmed it. And we got on a phone call, David, Dominic, and I. And obviously, that's a very vulnerable position. You're, you're a pastor is asking you follow-up questions to some questions that you submitted to him, and he answered online through an email. But now it's live. It can go any number of ways. And I promised him that I would be um, kind and gracious, and I think I was kind and gracious to him. But I... Uh, Basically, he said that uh, God is, is removed from, from, if there is God, he's removed himself from man today. He, he would hold an agnostic position. And so I asked him, I said, did you ever really see or experience God do something like that nobody else could explain? And he said, well, maybe. And then I gave him an illustration. I, some of you know the story of our firstborn, Victoria, and how all the doctors gave us no hope, and, 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 and really up until she was actually born and the umbilical cord was cut, there was no way that the doctors said that she would, in, in any length of time, live. And she's 20-something today. And so I gave him that story, and he said, honestly, Pastor, I, I, I can't say that I've ever had any, an experience like that. What would you say his response was to that? So he said if he had experienced something like that personally in his own life, maybe he would have came to different conclusions, but he didn't. And so, um, and I know this is another question we'll have a little bit later, but if, if he had had a situation like that, or, uh, or, or even something I think even smaller than that, he would have, I think, landed a little differently. David, what would your friend say? Yeah, so my friend would say that he absolutely believed in God, that he, uh, growing up, he grew up in church, uh, grew up, his uh, parents were always around church, they were always doing things with church, and even as a teenager, had a desire to go into ministry, to potentially uh, do something ministry-based. And then in his teen years, he started seeing some holes that he couldn't quite explain. And as he continued to dig in, he said, it just started making less and less sense to me. Because if all of the people who were spiritually formative in his life 
these people that he believed to be strong Christians uh, couldn't live up to the standards, couldn't live up to what they actually believed, then was there even a God that existed for them to live up to if they really had these beliefs in this system, surely they would do the right thing. And they weren't, therefore the God of that system just must not exist. There's an old poem that um, has been an encouragement to me over the years, and I understand the poem's not inspired or it's not Holy Scripture, but it goes something like this, Christ has no hands but our hands to do his work today. He has no feet but our feet to lead men on his way. He has no help but our help to bring men to his side. He has no tongue but our tongue to tell men how he died. We're the only Bible sometimes this careless world will read. We're the sinner's gospel. We're the scoffer's creed. We're the Lord's last message given in deed and word. But what if the type is crooked? And what if the print is blurred? Now, another question we asked is, do you believe there is one belief system that everyone should hold to? My whole effort in this was, Sometimes people think that their position is the only position, and if you believe something other than their position, not only are you wrong, but you lack understanding and intelligence. And so that's why I wanted to ask this question. And Dominic, what would your friend have said? So he, he was pretty generous. Um, I think he was, pretty, he was, he was trying to, to strike a friendly tone. He said that you should be able to come to whatever conclusion you want about your belief system. Um, and he sees value in the effect that religion has had on society, culture, and civilization. Um, that said, he'd also say uh, that some belief systems seem to be more reasonable than others. Yeah, my friend would land in a similar place. He would say he, he's not quite sure of the answer to that question, but um, that there are good people out there who believe different things. And no matter what you believe, you should seek to be a good person Find something that's going to lead you to be a good person and an upstanding human being. I like what one author said. He said, everyone's faith journey is winding and complex, but God is God. And he lays out a path so we can find him. And even when we've wandered from what's familiar, there are more paths than ever before in today's world. More options for spiritual enlightenment or custom faith. But no path leads to true happiness and everlasting life except Jesus alone, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, which is narrower than we might like. Narrow is the way that leadeth to light, but more satisfying than we can imagine. Psalm 16, taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, another question. Do you think most Christians live according to biblical, uh, historical biblical positions or according to man-made Western t traditions? So he said that um, he believes most Christians are well-intentioned, uh, try to do the best they can. Um, he'd say that many churches and Christians sometimes are just looking for a speaker, a teacher, a pastor um, that will make them feel better about themselves uh, and tell them how to live a better life, not necessarily how they can become more like Jesus. And that was kind of a, a sticking point for him. Yeah, I would say, again, similarly... He would say that a lot of what our churches do is our, our churches are often full of good people who are trying to do the right thing, who are seeking to follow up to the system that they've been taught, but he would believe that the system itself is, is broken and that really, he said, when you go back and you study scripture, 
what most of our American churches are teaching today isn't deeply rooted and grounded in Scripture. It's rooted and grounded in their traditions that they want to push. And so he said there's a lot of really terrible people who are using the church as cover uh, to get people to follow what they would want to believe. And we've all seen it. You've seen it. You've seen it. I've seen it. And, and, and really, I, I, I don't want to say this strongly, but I kind of abhor it in the sense that I think what has morphed into what we know as modern-day Christianity is not the Christianity that we see in the Bible at all. In fact, American cultural Christianity is not take up your cross and follow me. It's anything but that. And I'm not asking people today to sell your house and sell your car and, and drop everything and follow Jesus. But I think our version of Christianity and what Peter, James, and John, the Baragines, the sons of thunder knew about Christianity would probably not be the same. So, Another question, if you had something to share with Christians or churches, what would it be? So he, he was saying uh, towards the end of our conversation the other day, uh, leave space for questions. Uh, provide space for people to have questions. Um, help people know that just because they're questioning their faith doesn't mean they're, they're not a Christian. We can have doubt and wrestle with that. Uh, deeply and, and still be a Christian and, and land on a... Yeah, so what happens when people have questions most of the time? I mean, in churches, in, in I can speak from personal experience uh, as, as a child going way back, is it was shut down. Um, it was not allowed. Um, it was, especially for my friend who I know his background, it was something you were looked down upon and thought less than because of those questions. So even to follow up on that, I actually was on Instagram last night, and we've been talking about this whole deconstruction thing, and I came across an Instagram account, and this entire account is this lady's journey through deconstruction. And essentially, I watched a few videos that she had done, and she said, I had to, I had grown up in the church, I had grown up with all of these questions, and I started questioning things, and my family didn't accept my questions my pastor didn't accept my questions. My church didn't accept my questions. She said, so I had to remove myself from that situation. And over the span of two years, she said, I, I broke down my entire faith. I fully deconstructed it. The good news is she came back on the back end and said, my faith is much stronger today than it had ever been. Unfortunately, the church that she was in, the family that she was part of, didn't give her the space to work through that. Hmm. What else, Dominic? So, um, he was saying that um, we can show people love and acceptance. Um, and I don't remember if he named this specifically, but, but speaking of teenagers uh, or people who have teenagers, people who know teenagers, if you're a teenager yourself, um, having questions and acknowledging those questions and not, not running away from them, but trying to get help trying to get those answered, going to someone that you know, going to a spiritual mentor, spiritual peer pastor, and, and trying to get help. I mean, that's what I would encourage someone to do. David, how about your friend? Yeah, so he would say that uh, if he had something to share with the church, that it would be that the Bible says to judge something by their fruit. And if you really believe what you say you believe, then your fruit will be the fruit of the Spirit. 
and the fruit that you produce will be good and will be holy. And when it's not, you, you must not really believe what you say that you believe. He says that Christians that he's interacted with time and time again have rotten fruit, and that is what eventually caused him to leave the church. Now, how can churches help those who are deconstructing? Again, I think I would go back to providing a, he said, providing a safe space for people to ask questions and disagree without feeling uh, judgment uh, is, is, again, that's what he, was, what he was saying. And from my conversations with my friend, it seems like half the battle is churches and Christianity simply listening and being open uh, to honest conversation with people that, um, that have doubts. And again, if you're a teenager, if you have a teenager, you know a teenager, um, those are, those are, that's a, that's a great time. Those questions are opportunities to strengthen their faith. Um, doubts can lead to spiritual development. I think sometimes we're very quick when we're listening to give an answer instead of listening to understand. And when we understand somebody, then we can better help them. We can better guide them. We can better love them. But if we're only listening to answer in an argument, we're probably not going to be very helpful. Uh, David. Yeah, so he would say much of what Dominic just said. And then I think some of the key components would be to be authentic. The truth is, when people start asking you questions, you may not know the answer to all of the questions. And it's okay to say, man, that's a, that's a great question, and I, I'm not totally sure. Um, he would say, don't add to Scripture. Don't change Scripture to make it convenient for what you believe. Don't, don't take Scripture and push it into your belief system. Instead, make your belief system fit into Scripture, and then... Isn't that interesting? Somebody that is deconstructed is saying, <laughs> if you're going to believe the Bible, believe the Bible. <laughs> exactly, and I think that's one of his biggest things is, I, I mean, I think if you boiled it down to anything, it would be that. If you, if you really believe this, believe it. Um, and then my last point literally says, live what you believe. Yeah. So a young lady that my wife and I know that spent some time at a church we started in California, she deconstructed after going to a church after she left our church and she moved to Yorba Linda and went to a church there and she was excited about Jesus. She was excited about salvation. She was excited about telling others about Jesus, but nobody there was excited. And she was trying to get evangelism efforts started to the community and trying to reach others with the gospel, and nobody cared. And basically, she came to the conclusion that if all of these people and other people outside of this church and other people outside of this church are in the same place, God must not be real. Because if heaven's real and hell's real, and people are really going to spend eternity in hell if they go there, why aren't we doing something about it? So, now, what, what are the reasons why uh, your friend, you would say, your friends, de deconstructed? So, uh, he never came out and said this verbatim. This is my personal assessment of the three reasons that Pastor listed. Um, but the reason I believe he deconstructed his faith is that he never experienced Jesus for himself. I'm not saying that he's not saved or that when he made a profession of faith, it wasn't genuine. I'm saying that he never experienced God actively, actively work or answer prayer or transform him in some meaningful way. And when you don't experience Jesus for yourself, well, of course you're going to have doubts. Um, and, and of course you're going to think it's all 
a fairy tale or a figment of your imagination. And so um, that, that's my personal assessment. He never came out and said that, but he didn't experience Christ for himself. My 16-year-old daughter has been overhearing um, the conversations that I've been having with these guys. We've been talking about this a lot, trying to make sure we're on the same page. And we've been talking about the difference between ethereal faith or faith here and experiential faith, faith that we experience and see and see God act and respond. And she brought up, she said, she came to me the other day, hey, dad, remember when you and me and Caitlin were fishing and we're down by the, the river and, and the fish that we had caught, he had died. And you said, well, if you want him to live, why don't you ask God for him to live? And and we, I prayed, and then the fish started jumping all over the place, and he, he got into the river, and he went, up, went and swam away. Do you remember that? And I said, yeah, I do remember that. She said, why don't you use that as an, an, a demonstration of experiential faith? I said, well, I could. But you know what? In her 16-year-old mind, she was looking for, for ways that she's experienced God, and in her mind, that's an experience she had. And it's so important for us to experience God. I tell staff all the time, pray prayers that you know there's no way you can answer them, only God can answer them. Pray outlandish prayers. Ask God to do something that only he can do so that when he does it, you know he's real. You know you can continue to trust him and you know you can continue to risk and launch out in faith. David. Uh, so uh, I feel like I'm in some ways echoing the same answers again, but he would say at the end of the day, it boils down to inconsistency in Christians and most specifically inconsistency from those who are in church leadership. If not only a, a Christian sitting in the, in the pew, if you will, but those who have taken on the mantle of leadership, he's like, those people should be doing right. And if they mess up, people mess up. If they mess up, own it. Say, man, I, I dropped the ball. But he's like, time and time again, I watched them do wrong, refuse to admit that there was wrongdoing, and just cover things up. He's like, and it just, I, it made him sick. Hmm. Now, over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the three main reasons why people deconstruct. But in my effort to present those messages, if you have questions, you can submit those questions. In fact, I think we have a number and an email address that you can submit them to. And then, um, do we have one? We don't. We don't, okay. I forgot to put that screen up, it's my fault. <laughs> okay, we'll have it by the next service. He owned it. Uh, he owned it, he made a mistake and he owned it. But uh, you can take a connection card in the, in the uh, pew chair in front of you and you can write a question and you can submit it in the offering box and we'll do our best to answer your question or you can send an email to david.s at pastor, uh, excuse me, david.s at deserthills.church, and he'll make sure it's all taken care of. Now, uh, sincerely, if you have questions, we want to help. Drop us an email, set up a meeting, ask us about some books that'll help guide you in your faith journey. Now, we all need to understand, and we all need to understand that God has not removed himself from our world, and he's still desiring to be at work in our lives. He has given us general revelation to understand and know about his existence. In fact, the Bible says in Romans 1, it says, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. Literally, God, I believe, has put a void in our lives that only he can fill. And we can try to fill it with any number of things, but we're always going to come away empty. And then it goes on to say this, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that man 
is without excuse. So that by general revelation, seeing God in creation, we can understand his existence. And then he still speaks to us today through his son in his word. Hebrews says it this way, God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and by whom he made the worlds. The Bible calls the son the word. In the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Now, he wants to speak to us today. And he wants to use his word. He wants to use his preachers and teachers. In fact, the Bible says in Romans 10, how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and by hearing the word of God. When we take ourselves away from church and take ourselves away from the word of God, it's like taking a piece of wood out of the fireplace and isolating it on its own. Before long, that piece of wood is going to burn out. And that may be where some of you are today. Because iniquity has abounded, the love of many has waxed cold. So join us for the next few weeks as we delve into these reasons why people deconstruct so that you can help your friends, so that you can help your family, so that you can help your children, that you can help your grandchildren, and so that you can help yourself shore up your faith and find some hope and help and answers to increase your faith as you hear God's word. 